Radio Outcast is a groovy, gunslinging podcast for mature audiences. Content warning. This episode contains mentions of racism, colorism, and colonialism at the beginning of the episode, which may be upsetting for some listeners. We encourage our listeners to prioritize their safety before venturing ahead. Thank you. I knew the Valley of the Moon through story alone. A barren land in southern Idaho territory, a pioneer's trail cuts through the hardened lava fields and around the apertures of Earth. Glimpsing it myself, I described the valley's face as more of the scaly backside of a great black crocodile. Well, I had no particular interest, as I'm partial to the indoors. How am I to drink and smoke and muse while walking across such a volatile landscape? And nevertheless, I have little choice. My mistress, Emmy, wishes to see Helix alive and well, or at least, <laughs> simply, alive. Miserable, perhaps, but should Helix die along this trek across otherworldly land made of hardened volcanic spew, hazardous winds, and heat strong enough to gather a graveyard of wagon wheels as trophies along our path? Yes. Were Helix to perish during her brief stint as a mortal woman, I do believe that my mistress would eviscerate me. Without hesitation. All over the world. Uh, uh, join hands. Stop a love train. Hey, 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 Jesse! Since you took that horse from those banded weirdos back in Arizona, do you think she's technically a bad guy, too? A thought experiment. What is a beast's moral consciousness? Is your stolen steed a greater sinner than the one I purchased? Do animals understand concepts such as justice and morality? Of course they do. Recorder is a general one. No, no... Do not tell me that's the name you chose. She's an American quarter. The hell else should I name her? Literally anything else. I mean, what an ugly, boring name. Our dear cowboy friend cannot be blamed for his lack of taste. He's likely emptied that area in his brain to make room for a catalog of pensive stares and his wandering hero complex. Yeah? Kind of names a Sony machine and Coda. Oh, please, do not compare Charles's naming skills to mine. Coda is a gorgeous name for a gorgeous little familiar. Coochie, coochie, ooh, yes, you are. <laughs> Quit messing around and hold tight to Coda before you fall off. Remember, if you go down, I'm coming down too. Map maker. Any chance we'll head to town soon? Oh, yes, yes, certainly. There is absolutely zero chance. These winds will only become more violent once the sun sets. We need to find shelter and the tower soon. 
What does the machine say? We getting any closer? What do you say, Sonny? What's Holy the- Holy shit! Look over there! Is that? My head had been bowed for quite some time to shield my eyes from the wind and blackened dust. Therefore, when Helix exclaimed in surprise and I at last looked at the horizon, I was mystified by the view ahead. Not only were we nearing our next great tower, glinting in the heat waves some many miles ahead, we were also coming across the very shelter that we needed. A large, colorful building. Indeed, I'd seen Edison's light bulb here and there, loud, buzzy little contraptions, found primarily in the courthouses and saloons across our tattered land. But this building across the valley, <laughs> goodness me, it must have radiated with thousands of these light bulbs. Red bulbs, blue ones, pink, green, it seemed quite the marvelous dream. No way. No way, is that a roller rink? You know what sucked the most about my trial, Mom? I had to sit there and listen to everyone, including my sisters, talk shit about me while you sat behind me and did nothing about it. God, Spectra's whole freaking thing about how I was demeaning my godhood by hanging out with mortals was just... You know what? I know it's gonna piss you off, and, and you probably are thinking that I, I haven't learned my lesson, but that moment when I saw the flashing neon in, in the middle of the Idaho territory was the best thing that's happened to me since you all turned your backs on me. The building was disc-shaped, with a pink and yellow neon sign in the shape of an arrow. Each time it flashed, the lights pointed up toward the black tower, which seemed planted inside the center of the building. A pair of neon green skates flashed on and off above the entrance. As we got closer, the roller rink's name became clearer. Rink on the moon. Quite a claim. What's the rank? Are you serious? Jesse and Charles are really starting to get on my nerves these days, but I knew if I was going to impress them into no longer treating me like some naive damsel of the group, this would be my place to shine. I hopped off quarters back and did a little moonwalk between the horses. That's right, I've still got it. Don't forget, I won silver in every single dancing competition in the heavens. If it weren't for the god of ritual, I would have won gold. It's a place for fun, and, and music, and skating. You know, like uh, ice skating, but with wheels instead of blades. <sighs> Back in 1987, Dre used to take me to adult nights all the time and we'd just groove song after song until the lights went out. Dre? 
Is that a god of wagons? Uh, No. He's um, a human. Was a human. My friend from before I got banished. I see. Well, at least we found shelter. Well, uh, ranks aren't uh, 100% friendly to 100% of people. The 80s were barely better than the 70s. Jeez, I remember some girls putting on lighter foundation just to get past the bouncer. It was... It was totally fucked. I don't know much about this area, but I know it ain't different than the rest of America. Though I'm sure at least he likes it. Well, no. Perhaps, uh... I must admit that your complexion isn't technically... White? (sighs) Charles... Make yourself useful. Me and Helix ain't looking down a rifle's mouth for a damn roller sink or whatnot. Get in there and find out what's what. I don't suppose either of you have any stolen change to lend me? No, but I do got the horse carrying all our food and canteens. <sighs> I'll resolve the matter myself then. Oh, I hate relying on Osgood for anything. The guy's smug grin after he manages to do some good is as irritating as trying to convince Barefoot to put on shoes. As we waited for him to get things squared away at the entrance, I could hear him doubling down on his affected speech while he charmed the woman at the doorway. She looked over at us with a raised brow. Took all I had not to give her a stern look back. But Charles slid between us Gone back his powder white hair and just grin, grin, grin. Lo and behold, Osgood succeeds and walks back over. Any trouble? No, no. It, it appears that the establishment was found by nearby Shoshone and serves all sorts. She said it's the only neutral ground through the Snake River Plain. The ashen wilderness outside the building seemed a better fate. Soon as we walked in, my head started spinning. Colorful lights from pink to burning blue shone on and off in every corner. People sailed in circles across a glossy wooden floor around the black tower. They looked like they were gliding on wings. Some looked like fur trappers, others like miners with black coal stains on their slags. There were also Shoshone, a Chinese woman fanning herself to the side and three other black men who clocked me as soon as I saw them. There were more people inside than all those I'd seen in at least five days. 
all loud as hell, laughing and hollering at the DJ to turn the music up. Could hardly hear better than outside. Around the skating area, the carpet was covered in star shapes, though they were worn with hoof prints. First place I'd ever been indoors and horses were loud. DJ Furtrap here, giving you the melody. Now, let's see you on the floor. I want to see you all out there showing your best moves. <laughs> yeah, you too, Dave. Yeah, I'm out. What? No, 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 Jesse, come on. Come on, you're, you're going to love this, okay? I promise. At least stay long enough for us to get a train going. A train? But we've only just arrived. Not that sort of train, Charles. Either way, not interested. Why not? It'll be rad. Who cares if you can't dance? Yeah, who said that? Oh, the candied tactics. Don't be obvious. You're being obvious. All right, well, the horse stables are indoors. I'm headed. Come on, Corda. One day I'll see you dance, Jesse Rogers. Ugh, lame-o. Jesse and I, we are not friends, yet we are not enemies. It does seem his suspicions of me have softened, at least since Salt Lake City, where I was on quite the uncomfortable display. Perhaps his curiosities have been sated, no? Or perhaps Jesse Rogers bides his time. Formerly, he spent our travels poisoning my image in Helix's mind, all by evidence of his sterling intuition, of course. That Charles Osgood is some sort of snake. Now, these past few evenings, it's as though Charles Osgood was but a tolerated traveling companion. Mistress, <laughs> I do hope that you're proud. Shit, rubber wheels! Oh man, I, I I was expecting old school fits made of wood, but these look like the rentals you get at the Roxy Rink. As we strapped on our skates, Helix talked of the skating venues from her futuristic times, uh, none too different from the arena around us. The disorienting flashes of light, the unintelligible music, and quite damning of all, garish fashions. Had the future civilizations chosen color saturation as their savior? In Helix's hands, she held a pair of stockings so bright, so, so, so yellow, I thought I'd never unsee the wicked things. <laughs> Nevertheless, it had been since, well, perhaps our entire companionship, that I'd seen dear Helix wear actual feet protection be it stockings and skates, or otherwise. Yes, these are quite a bit more... modern than what I'm familiar with. <laughs> You've skated before? I am a man full of surprises. <laughs> 
During a brief tour through Boston, I drank cacao wine with a ballet dancer from Berlin. He was quite adept. Classically trained, no doubt. The hotel lobby proved an ample space to demonstrate his talents. Butterfly, Grand Bottemont and Ronde, <laughs> seven or eight double tours. Oh, it was quite a marvel. Then he asked for my own demonstration, if I had any. Now, of course, I'd only learned from the ballroom peripheries, but an attempt I did make. <laughs> I managed one plie in a saute before my limbs quarreled. <laughs> he found my initial attempts charming enough to provide some lessons. You know, Berlin is quite famous for their innovations with skates before the practice came to us. I did not. Wow. <laughs> Ballet dancer, huh? Yes. Quite talented at that. Huh. How'd you meet? Uh, the usual business. Yeah? Huh, I, I didn't know that ballet dancers were all that hot at drawing maps. She popped up off the bench and glided away without another word. I knew I had made a mistake. I chased after Helix as she slid onto and across the wooden floor. She was marvelously fast, spinning on the wheels and threading herself between bodies. In solo ballet, you needn't worry about such crowds, you simply dominate the floor. Here, I stumbled and held onto shoulders, allocating my weight until, at last, I gained some momentum. I felt the wind in my hair. It began to make sense, the dastardly music, the snappish lights. I felt a part of some distant world. One moment Helix would be inches away, then she'd delicately cyclone on her skates and cross the floor. I merely followed the jagged lightning jewelry dangling from her ears and how it sparkled beneath the lights. It took me some time to catch up to her, a, a fortunate thing that I adapt so quickly. <laughs> I spun round and skated backwards, facing her in the eyes. Apologies, did I offend? <laughs> and why would you think that? I only meant that in my line of work you often meet a lot of intriguing characters, usually at parties. Uh, perhaps I should have been more clear about what I meant when I said usual business. You know, you don't have to justify yourself to me. Right. No, of course not. Hey, you're actually pretty good at this. You've been skating backwards without looking over your shoulder for a while. Yes, well, as I said, I had an excellent teacher. <sighs> Bet I had a better one. Helix winked at me and bobbed her head to the music. I slowed down to match. On a curve, I spun forward. Each of her steps crossed over the other as her body bounced up and down. She dropped on one knee so her other leg stretched along behind her and then alternated. She looked at me with a smirk, challenging me. And so I met her dancing with some of my own. I pulled my weight to the left, allowing my arms to come over my head as I bent sideways. Her shock at my ability turned into a sort of playful competition. DJ Fur Trap here. 
Let me hear you all make some noise. We're cheering! We're cheering! Ha Goodness me! All right, folks. Do not forget, tonight we will be having a dance competition. First prize is a fur coat from yours truly. We've also got a raffle for a week's worth of rations for four. Sign up at the table by the lockers with the lovely Miss Keith. I knew that in order to earn Helix's complete favor, I needed to allow her an opportunity to shine. I must admit, Helix, though your technique is unconventional, your talent is exceptional. Would you mind teaching me? <sighs> yeah, only the god of rituals could ever best me, and technically that's cheating because they literally invented dance. But that's a long story. <laughs> you know, I've got a better idea. I'll teach you if we both enter tonight's competition. Oh? And when I win. Oh, wager too. When I win, you finally have to fess up about where you actually got the TCD. I mean, Sonny machine. You mean the bench? Yeah, you and I both know that was a terrible story. If I win, you've got to tell me the truth. Don't forget, I can tell when you're being honest or not now that I got that power back. Cornered. If I agreed, I would likely lose. If I could, I'd simply make another story for the Sony Machine's origins, but the goddess can peer into the truth now. She'd learn my role in your plans, mistress. However, if I did not agree, I would be confirming every one of her doubts. A bluff was needed. Would that mean I get something in return? Should I win? Sure. Why not? Name it. You and Jesse have acquired these divine powers. If I were to win, which of course I shall not, but if I did, would you be willing to gift this tower's power to me? I recognize it's an impossible request, but what's a game without a bit of glistering risk, no? Her eyes widened. She glanced at the obelisk in the center of the floor, then back at me. I was convinced she would falter. My... power? <laughs> like I'd lose. Deal. I was, gleefully, wrong. I've been so wrong! Don't you know? I've got a change! Here's the thing, I'm no dummy. Charles has been shifty since we met him. It's that TCD model he carries that makes me really doubt him. A shady dude, I can handle. I mean, I dated in New York City. But 
a shady dude holding the key to my powers? Yeah, no, it's just too weird. We've seen weird things all over this time. Light bulbs, a singing automaton, this whole ass roller rink, but none of them have jack shit to do with me. Not the way that thing does. So how the hell did Charles get it? And why won't he tell me the truth about how he got it? Pardon me, Helix, if you'll excuse me just a moment. I, I must see a man about the lavatories. Oh, I told you those sardines we ate last night looked bad. Uh, yes, quite. He was sweating like crazy. Whether it was from what he was about to do to some poor bathroom stall or because I was on the money, only you know who could tell. Wanted to be a printer as a child. Got my hands on half a Bible when I was 10 years of age. Read it forwards and backwards and every other bit of print I could get my hands on after. Were no publishers near home. Nor did my parents believe that if there were any, would give a young black boy a shot at taking charge of the hand presses. After the war, my father's father found that cattle driver was freer than most freemen those days. And so, when they reunited after the war, Pa also became a cattle driver. Was 11 when he found me my first job. Wasn't anything to do with letters. A friend of the family was a cowboy on the ranch outside of town. He taught me how to ride, how to break a Stanley, how to care for him. That was the most important bit. Just cause they let us on their backs, don't mean horses are fools. Pa used to tell me that the strongest man in the world had no way of conquering either a horse or a woman if he didn't also earn their trust. There you are, girl. Found you a nice place to rest for tonight. Let's get you on the saddle, too. Huh? <clears throat> How's that? Lucky you can't hear all that nonsense in there. Might join you tonight rather than stick with those two. At least you keep your opinions to yourself. I can't answer you. When I turned my head, I saw a kid poke his head out from a stack of hay in the back. Little bits of it stuck out from his head. Yeah? How do you know? You two old friends. No. Horses... Horses can't talk. <laughs> he wiped his nose on the sleeve of his fur coat, which looked far too big to be his. Why aren't you with everyone else celebrating? Don't you have any friends? 
Is that why you were talking to the horse like it's people? I heard I heard that sometimes people who don't have friends get so lonely they start talking to things and acting funny. <laughs> Where's your mom pocket? He wiped his dirty nose again and shrugged. I sighed and waved for him to follow me. <sighs> Come on. Let's go find your folks. Sonny, I need you to focus. Mistress, Emmy, I need your assistance. Now, it's Helix. She has cornered me. I, I need to win a competition against her or I'll be forced to tell her the truth. I need your assistance. I I fear I may lose and her latest <sighs> ability won't actually allow me to... Not the dramatics. Ah. She heard you. Okay? Pardon, have we met? An elegant woman with fair skin and brilliant red hair stood before me as though... She had appeared from thin air. She wore a man's suit, gray with white stripes. It was loose and unusually wide around the shoulders. The lapels were as white as fresh snow, and she wore a brooch made of gold and rubies shaped like a pair of glittering eyes. She looked at me as though I were a nuisance, but in a manner that reminded me of Emmy's gaze, as, as though I were a piece on a chessboard. A cigarette appeared between her lips a moment later, as if by magic. I forget how stupid humans are sometimes. Your mistress sent me? Little human man. Apparently, you need the help. Even someone as uninsightful as my stupid little sister has sussed out that you're just a clown. Your sister? The woman took another drag of her cigarette and raised an eyebrow at me in a patronizing manner. As the smoke fell from her lips, it spun until it formed a single image. Helix's face. Except her smoke-formed face had quite the exaggerated grin. Helix. That would mean that you are... Daughter of the All-Mother of Communication, one of the five communication sisters. Yes. I am the messenger god of sight. You can call me Spectra. If you have to call me anything. She blew an arrow of smoke through the puff that remained of Helix's face, dispersing the smoke. Forgive me, Spectra. As you've stated, I am merely a... small human man. I do not understand. If you are Helix's sister, why help Emmy? Not that it's any of your concern, but it's because she's my sister. Helix has done 
nothing but fail at her duties and neglect her union. She's a joke. She has tarnished our mother's name and tricked Emmy into giving her preferential treatment. If it was up to me, I would have started by spilling a bucket full of the blood of her favorite humans on her at her trial. Like that guy she wouldn't quit crying about. But I'm not in charge. Though Emmy's little punishment is lacking, I'm not a self-important idiot who will go against the will of one of the governing three. I didn't know quite what to say. In a single conversation, she had revealed more of the god's secrets to me than either Helix or Emmy ever had. Helix had sisters. She didn't fulfill a union. Then there was Emmy, who was not only a god, not only one of many gods, but one of the ruling elites among those gods. Skating competition? I'm sorry, what? Keep up. That's why I'm here, right? I'm here to help back you at a skating competition so you can keep your association with Emmy secret. Yes or no? Uh, yes. Though I am quite talented, a fact none can dispute, uh, I need to ensure that I will win. Helix is a god, after all. Barely. Okay. I've got this under control. You can go back to her now before she gets suspicious. She's too talented for you to beat fairly, so we'll cheat. Obviously. I thought again of the buckets of human blood, how she hoped to pour them on her sister. What did Spectra plan to do now? Uh, how do you propose we emerge victorious? I have a few ballet techniques I might incorporate, but the acceleration Gods, you're annoying. Relax. I don't need to make you good. I just need to make you look good. Lucky for you, that's my specialty. <laughs> Radio Outcast was created by Maria Fernanda Vidal-Razaga and JT Lachesse and produced by Anne Hughes, starring... Daniel A. Stevens as Charles Osgood, Jade Duong as Helix, Ivory Amorde Francisca as Jesse Rogers, Griffin Otto Deniger as DJ Fur Trap, Daniel Sotelo as Coda, and Maria Fernanda Vidorrazaga as The Kid and Spectra. This episode was written by Fernanda, directed by Fernanda, with dialogue editing by Anne, sound design by JT, and theme music by Samuel Kinsella. This episode also features music by Gemini, The Bins, and Peachface. You can find links to their music in this episode's show notes or on our website. As always, you can find us online at RadioOutcast.com or follow us on Instagram at RadioOutcastPod and Twitter at Radio underscore Outcast. 
If you like what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. It helps us reach more listeners and gives us a chance to see what you all think of the show. If you aren't sure what to say but would still like to show the show your support, you can rate us on any of those avenues as well. And now, also on Spotify, at the top of the Radio Outcast page, right from your phone. If you'd like to help us grow, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radio underscore outcast. During our month away for the holidays, our patrons still received access to behind-the-scenes material, original scripts, and bonus content, including our very first Q&A session with our lovely producer and the voice of Emmy, Anne Hughes. But if that's too big of a commitment for you, if you become a patron at the Coda tier for as little as $1 a month, you too could get a special shout out at the end of our episodes like... Nameless Thief, an actual cartographer, unlike Charles, would be one of the first to map the treacherous train of Craters of the Moon. They never came across our beloved roller disco, but did find a mixtape and boombox hidden behind some brush. The tape titled In Pink Sharpie, For the Streetlights and the Starlight, 1987, was so good we have decided to honor each of today's patrons with a favorite hit off of the mixtape, starting with Nameless Thief's Favorite on the Tape, Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. Next up, Alan L., our rumored opera singer, has yet to visit the rink on the moon, but Kiss by Prince is bound to be on the speakers to get him singing. Andy S., preacher man from Lone Flats, is bound to start grooving when Manic Monday by the Bangles starts playing. For our well-traveled woman of the world, Gnome H., nothing will beat the thumping melody of Don't Get Me Wrong by the Pretenders. Daniel W., that gambling undertaker, has fine taste not only in company, luxury, but also music. Nothing less than the godmother of soul. That's right, Patti LaBelle's On My Own. Aaron B., band book smuggler extraordinaire, deserves something as cool as them, so to them we dedicate You Give Love a Bad Name by Bon Jovi. The wide-eyed and young Sebastian once played the best prank in the world on some miners in Salt Lake City, which is why DJ Furtrap must have Never Gonna Give You Up ready when they hit the dance floor. Chelsea S. remains one of my favorite traveling fortune tellers, and though she is nothing but trustworthy in her fortunes, we dedicate the great pretender by the great Freddie Mercury to her. Lisbeth S. has actually frequented the rink on the moon a time or two, so we have it on good authority that Rhythm is Gonna Get You by Gloria Stefan is the track to keep playing when she arrives. Sarah F. is raking in the money money with her renowned painting, so why not listen to Billy Idol's money money while doing so? Fearless Lila, the talented criminal, fearless in all aspects, is sure to get the lift from Dirty Dancing on the first try while listening to The Time of My Life by Bill Medley. Melissa L. can sing a great rendition of What You Get Is What You See by Tina Turner. You'd think she'd been hearing the song for years instead of just recently during the strange year we call 1887. Patricia D., I heard a rumor that she listened to Bananarama in an oddity tent at a carnival and immediately started dancing. Physics, during that time he introduced the fabulous Omdenay's puppet to Lone Flats Fame Saloon, might have had One Night in Bangkok by Murray Head playing in his mind had he ever tried staring into that puppet's eyes for longer than a minute. There's something mystical and strange lying behind those painted peepers. 
Val V would definitely be the person to break the tape trying to rewind and replay How Will I Know by Whitney Houston over and over again. Consuelo you, my dear mother, well, I don't need to guess to know her favorite track on the mixtape. It must be on the B-side, Bamboleo by the Gypsy Kings. Juan Aurelio P. is not only a regular at the Rink of the Moon, he has tired DJ Fur Trap with all of his requests for In My House by the Mary Jane Girls. If the mixtape ever got in Rax W's hands, all I'm saying is that you better get ready to party all the time to, well, Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy. Susan D will be sure to get everyone up on their feet because next up we're playing Into the Groove by Madonna. Marcos L, another man of taste, is bound to bump Paid in Full by Eric B and Rakim. Meanwhile, Patrick C, I can see tearing up that dance floor under spotlight with a partner to Dancing in the Streets by David Bowie and Mick Jagger. And finally, for our last dedication to the lovely Miss Kyrieo, we offer the absolute bop, Out of Touch by Mr. Hull and Oates. <laughs> to all of our patrons, thanks again. We appreciate you. And to everyone listening, safe travels. Mm-hmm.